0: All right, if you got a Bible this morning, uh, Romans chapter 9 is where we're going to be. Thank you again for being here, and uh, if, you're, if you're joining us today uh, for the first time, we've actually been teaching through Romans chapter 9 the last several weeks, so you, you're coming kind of right in the middle of our, our, our series called God's Calling an Election. and Election, uh, and we like to take a book of the Bible and, and teach it from beginning to end, that's the way you read most books, beginning to end, and that's the way God's Word really is to be understood from beginning to end. And so we started last year in Romans. We went through Romans chapter 8. We took a break for Christmas. We took a break over New Year, and, uh, and then in, in February, we kind of got back into Romans. And so we're in chapter 9, and, and if you're newer to our church, or maybe you hadn't been the last couple of weeks, let me just give you a key nugget of Bible study. You got notes that you can follow along with, but you also got some white space on the back. Romans chapter 9 deals with Israel and its past. And and, and so the whole context of Romans 9, God is is laying out for us not only the history of Israel, but the, the spiritual significance of what God was doing in the past through the life and nation of Israel. Romans chapter 10 is going to deal with Israel's present situation. It's present situation, and then Romans chapter 11 is going to deal with Israel's future and how God is going to restore that people group unto himself. Now, the reason this is important is because that there are some teachings uh, in our modern day Christianity, just like there were in the early church around 300 AD, that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. And as we come to God's word, we're going to find that is absolutely not the case at all. And, And so God's Study of Romans 9, 10, and 11 is going to help us really unpack what God has to say about His chosen people. And so when we open up chapter 9, we, the Apostle Paul began to share his, his burden for the nation of Israel. He actually had a burden for his kinsmen according to the flesh, and he wanted them to be saved. He wanted them to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and he said in verse 4, and if you got your Bible open, just kind of look at verse 4. He talks about the Israelites to whom pertaineth, listen to this, the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises who are of the fathers and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came. And so Paul began the chapter talking about his burden for the nation of Israel. But he also said that these are blessed people. This nation is blessed beyond measure. There's no other nation like this because God gave them promises. God gave them covenants. And ultimately, through the nation of Israel, God gave the world Jesus Christ. They are absolutely a tremendous blessed nation. And and listen, they certainly are backslidden against God, but God is not finished with them. And as we work through the next section in Romans, we talked about Abram. And in and, and verses six to nine, we talked about the children of promise and the children of the flesh. And we looked at the story of Abram and how God promised through Abram to make a great nation. And, and God promised that. And Abram, just like us, got impatient with God. I know none of you get impatient with God, but at the other churches they do, right? And, and so listen, Abram acted out in his flesh. And instead of waiting for God to pr- provide an heir, or a seed, or lineage, or a son, he actually went and and he took his wife's handmaid. It was her idea. And he had a son by this woman named Hagar. Well, that was a work of the flesh. And God never blesses the work of the flesh. God says, you need to to trust me. You need to act in faith. And so later, God gave Abram a son named Isaac. He was the child of promise. And, And through those two children, Isaac and Ishmael, we saw God God counting Isaac as the child of promise. God's covenants and promises and lineage was going to be through Isaac and his seed, his nation, ultimately, that would become the nation of Israel. Well, then, then two weeks ago, or excuse me, last week, we, we got a little further into the text in verses 10 to 14, and we talked about Jacob and Esau. And again, we said that those were certainly individual people that existed in history, but they also represent, doctrinally, two nations of people. We went back to Genesis chapter 25, and God said that when Rebekah was carrying these two sons, he says that there are two nations in your womb, two manner of people, and the elder is going to serve Who? The younger. And and as we unpack that, we we had to briefly talk about what the Bible does not say. And what the Bible does not say is that God predestined certain individuals to salvation while choosing other individuals to not be saved. That's not what Romans chapter 9 is teaching. As a matter of fact, God tells us that He's dealing with two nations, two manner of people. One would become Israel. The other, Esau, was the father of the Edomites. And and God very specifically is dealing with nations of people. And we got down to to Romans chapter 9, and we looked at verse 13, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. And many people will run to that text and say, see there, God chose one individual over The other individual, but any honest student of the Bible, looks at the first three words of the verse, as it is written. And and last week, that's what we did. We actually asked the honest Bible student question, where is that written? And and where it's written is in Malachi chapter 1. And oh, by the way, Malachi chapter 1 is only about 1,500 years After Genesis 25, you say, why does that matter? It matters because God, what he said in Genesis 25, that these two nations and these two manner of people became who God said they're going to become. One group of people loved God and walked in faith and ultimately became the nation of Israel. That's the sons of Jacob. One nation, Edom, was against Israel, was against God, was against the things of God. And in Malachi chapter 1... God just, on record, 1500, years later, says, well, what I said was going to happen happened." He didn't choose an individual to salvation and choose an individual to eternal damnation. That's exactly not what the Bible taught and teaches. And so I, you know, I, I kind of joked last week, but not joking. I, I hate coming to the Bible and having to teach what it doesn't teach. But in our culture of false doctrine and false teachers, We actually have to take the passages which false teachers and false prophets have taken out of context and actually explain what it doesn't teach so that we can explain what it does teach. God's not dealing with individual salvation in Romans chapter 9. He's dealing with a nation of people named Israel whom he's choosing to work through in the Old Testament. And so that brings us now to to verse 14. And and if you weren't here the last couple of weeks, in in about two minutes, you got three weeks of sermons right there. So we're going to pick up the text in verse 14, and we're going to continue this study of Romans as we look at yet another individual that's mentioned, but it's also representative of an entire nation, and his name is Pharaoh. And so Romans chapter 9, verse 14 says this, "'What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. For he saith to Moses, "'I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy.'" And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, and here's the the next person that we're going to study in this series. Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, that that, that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. Therefore... Hath he mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. And again, if you just read that at a glance without actually studying the Bible, you might falsely come to the conclusion, see, well, God just picks individuals as he chooses. Well, that's not actually what the Bible is teaching. And so we want to be good students of God's Word. Amen? Okay, three of us do. The rest of you, I'll pray for. (laughs) By not answering amen, that means you don't want to be a good steward of God's Word, and so I'll pray for you right now as I pray for the rest of us as we begin. Father, we, we need you this morning. Uh, Lord, help us to rightly divide according to your biblical principles the Word of Truth. Uh, God, your Holy Spirit can only reveal truth when your Word is compared spiritual things with spiritual things. And so, Father, help us to, to break through our culture and break through um, you know, tradition and religion and help us just to see what your Word says to us today. Father, we'll give you the glory for it, we thank you for your word, and thank you for the Holy Spirit that teaches it, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, you know, we left off the story last week with Jacob and Esau, and, and if you were to continue in the story in Genesis, you know that Jacob had 12 sons, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, through whom God's promises and God's covenant continued, and ultimately, that group of people found their way into Egypt. Uh, If you remember the story from Genesis, there was was a famine throughout the land. The, the, The brethren of Israel sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Do you remember the story? And he was taken to Potiphar's house and then ultimately imprisoned, but then ultimately released from prison. And he became literally second in command in Egypt. And through his faithfulness and his ministry and God's blessing on his life, Egypt becomes a world power. He had prophesied gave interpretation to Pharaoh's dream that there were going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph just kind of said, hey, you probably want somebody that knows what they're doing to get us ready for this this time of plenty because seven years of famine are going to come. And and, and so Pharaoh's like, I don't see anybody else in the room but you, so how about you do that? And, And Joseph had the wisdom of God and he prepared Egypt in the time of the famine and listen, when people ran out of bread, they came to Egypt, so much so that under Joseph's rulership, not only did Egypt sell the bread, but listen, they acquired listen, people were selling their fields, their cattle, all of their possessions because they were starving. And they sold it to Egypt, and Egypt became, became a world power under whose leadership? Pharaoh's leadership? Not really. They became a world power under Joseph's wisdom and leadership, God's blessing upon Egypt through Joseph. And and, and we find that in, in Genesis chapter 47, verse 20 is one example. Joseph bought, listen to this, all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. For the Egyptians sold every man his field because the famine prevailed over them and the land became whose? It became Pharaoh's. And so listen, this first Pharaoh that we're introduced to in Genesis. Is the, is the Pharaoh whom Joseph worked under and, and God blessed that nation and his efforts. This is the same Pharaoh that when Jacob came to Egypt to, to reconnect with Joseph, this is the same Pharaoh whom Joseph introduced to his father, Jacob. And you find that, and in, 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 it's not on the screen, but you find it in Genesis 47. The Bible says, Joseph came and told Pharaoh and he said, my father and my brethren and their flocks and their herds and all that they have are come out of the land of Canaan and behold, they're in the land of Goshen. And a little further into that text, you find that Jacob blessed Pharaoh in Genesis chapter 47. You remember that covenant that God made with Abraham back in Genesis 12? God told Abraham, anybody that blesses you, I'm going to Bless And anybody that curses you, I'm going to do you know why Pharaoh prospered and why Egypt prospered under Joseph's rulership? Because they blessed Israel, and Israel blessed them back. Does that make sense? And so this is that first Pharaoh that we see in the book of Genesis. Well, the Bible tells us in Exodus chapter one, verses eight to 11, that that Pharaoh died. And in verse 8, it says, There arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And as you read through Exodus chapter 1, this new Pharaoh, this new king of Egypt, he didn't bless the nation of Israel. He actually persecuted them, he afflicted them, he enslaved them. He actually says in verse 10 Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply. And it came to pass when he falleth out any war, they join unto our enemies and fight against us. And so they get up out of the land. This this Pharaoh was interested in self-preservation. And so he didn't bless Israel. He actually accursed Israel and enslaved Israel. He even, if you if you remember the story, he said, All the firstborn males that are born of these Hebrew women, what did he say do to those firstborn? Kill them you kill them. And, and, and the, the Hebrew midwives wouldn't kill the, the children. And so then he said, well, just go drown them. Drown them all. Get rid of them. So, so all automatically, you know that based on Genesis chapter 12, this Pharaoh is not going to be on the receiving end of God's blessing. Do you understand that? Because of the Abrahamic covenant. And yet Moses is born and, and Moses is protected and he's hid by the river in an ark and, and Pharaoh's daughter finds him. And, uh, and she takes him into her house and raises him in the way of the Egyptians. And Moses makes a choice when he becomes older. You know what? I don't want to be a part of the Egyptians anymore. I want to go suffer affliction with my people, with God's people. And the Bible says that by faith in Hebrews 11, he forsook and, and, and refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. That's a great picture of his salvation, if you will, in the Old Testament. It's, it's a It's a faith decision that refuses Egypt and the things of Egypt to follow God and the people of God and the things of God, even when it means suffering persecution. It's a great picture of what we're called to do. And maybe you remember the story, you know, as he goes and he visits his brethren, he stumbles upon an Egyptian persecuting some Hebrews. And the Bible says that he looked this way and he looked that way. And when nobody was looking, he actually took that Egyptian... And what did, he do? what did he do to him? He killed him. He slew him. And he acted out in his flesh, and word got back to this Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. And the Bible says that that king of Egypt wanted to kill Moses. And so, what did Moses do? He fled to Midian, he fled to the backside of the desert. If you come on Wednesday night, by the way, that'll fill in a lot of the gaps because we're talking about the life of Moses. And so Moses is on the backside of the desert, and in Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, It came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt, what? The one that wanted to kill him died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of bondage, and they cried, and their cry came up to God by reason of the bondage. And so, and so that Pharaoh, that's the second Pharaoh that we've talked about, and He died. And now, there's this third Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 to 10. It's not on the screen. But listen, that is the Pharaoh that currently has Israel still enslaved, still in bondage, still persecuting them, still forcing them to make brick and build his treasure cities. And this is the Pharaoh, this last Pharaoh, in which Romans chapter 9 is concerning. So I just gave you a nice little overview of the Old Testament in about five minutes. You like that? I need some water. Okay, so so that that sets us up for Romans chapter 9 because Romans chapter 9 tells us that God's going to have mercy on whom he'll have mercy and whom he will, he'll show compassion. He says in verse 17 that this Pharaoh, God raised him up to show his power that his name, God's name may be declared throughout all the earth. That he's going to show mercy on whom he will show mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. You need to know a little bit of backstory before you say what you think the Bible says. And so here's, here's where we're going to start this morning as a launching point. We're going to talk about God's mercy this morning. Because some people would come to this portion of text, and again, I hate doing this, but we have to talk about what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say that God just selected Pharaoh to be raised up and eternally damned, so that God could promote His name throughout the earth. That's not what the Bible is teaching. But it is teaching that God is merciful, but He has conditions for His mercy. So your first blank for study this morning is, God's mercy is based on God's conditions for His mercy. And and I want you to just real quick look back to verses 14 to 16. It says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. And listen, we've studied the last couple of weeks. We've, we've studied uh, Isaac and Ishmael. We've studied Jacob and Esau. We've studied Israel and all other Gentile nations. And you may say, man, isn't that kind of unrighteous that God would, would just kind of choose to work through a certain nation of people? I mean, is that unrighteous? Is God wrong for doing that? It appears almost like an injustice that God would choose a nation, by the way, not individual, a nation of people to work through. I mean, listen, in the Old Testament, if you wanted to be right with God, you had to somehow, some way, be connected to the nation of Israel. Because in them, if you bless them, God's going to bless you. You curse them, God's going to curse you. Ultimately, in Exodus, and, and, and certainly after they leave Egypt, God's gonna give them the law and the, the tabernacle and the sacrifices. And if you wanted to be right with God, those are things that you had to partake of in the Old Testament. You say, well, that seems unrighteous. Well, friend, let me, let me encourage you this morning God's not unrighteous. God always sets the conditions for his mercy. And, and, and let's talk about that in just a second. Number one, Paul said, is there unrighteousness with God? I want you to look at what the Bible's answer to that is. God forbid. God forbid. There is no unrighteousness with God. By the way, if there was, he would cease to be God. 1 John 5 and verse 17 says this, all unrighteousness is what? Is sin. And to ascribe unrighteousness to God would mean that God is a, a sinner which, friend, he's not. He's not. All in righteousness is sin, and there's a sin not unto death. So listen, in your blank, look, God is righteous. You have to understand that God is always right. It's always righteousness with God. And the Bible confirms this. Ezra chapter 9, and verse 15 says, "'O Lord God of Israel, thou art righteous.'" In Psalm 7 and verse 9, it says, Oh, let the wicked of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. And and so listen, is there unrighteousness? I don't like the way God chose that. It's not right. It is right because it's God. There is no unrighteousness in him. So God sets the standard for his mercy. Now, Romans chapter 9 and verse 15 says... For he saith to Moses, and, and I, I'm not rewriting the Bible to Jay's version up here, okay? I, I did just kind of put in parenthesis, where did he say what he's about to say to Moses? He saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And any honest student of the Bible's got to start with, I wonder where God said that. A dishonest student of the Bible would say, you see right there, God chooses individuals whom he's going to have mercy on. And God chooses individuals whom he's going to have compassion on. And because God chooses, you can't fight against it. That's not what the verse is teaching. And so the honest Bible student is going to ask, where did he say to Moses, I'm going to have mercy on whom i have mercy? And the answer, thank you for asking the question, audience participation is sometimes appreciated, Exodus 33 is where he said that. And he said it in verse 19. Now, again, Exodus 33 comes after Exodus chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus chapter. Are you, are you with me? Uh, Look, you have to be really educated to do what I do, okay? (laughs) Like if you can put numbers in order, there's a good chance you could probably be a pastor, okay? So that's not true. That's a joke. But, but, But I just want to make the point, where did God say that he's going to show mercy and have compassion on whom he will? He said it in Exodus 33. And the reason that that's important is because in Exodus chapter 32 is the story of Aaron, Taking all the gold from the Israelites and making the golden calf, and they worshiped it. And, and Moses is up on the mountain with the Lord, getting the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses, or God's like to Moses, hey, you need to get down because there's some foolishness going on in the camp. And so Moses came down and saw all the idolatry and all the wickedness. And listen. If God is righteous, and he is, and God is holy, and he is, God could have consumed that entire nation in Exodus 32. He could have destroyed every one of them. As a matter of fact, he tells Moses, hey, you know what, I'll just I'll consume them with fire, and I'll just make a great nation from you. And you know what Moses did? Moses said, Lord, your, your testimony is a little bit bigger than that. As a matter of fact, if you do that, Lord, all these other nations are going are going to look at you differently. He intercedes. Moses intercedes on behalf of Israel. And and God shows them mercy and he shows them compassion. He didn't destroy them. Let's read the text. Exodus 33 verse 19 and he said, "I will make all my goodness to pass before thee and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy" On whom I will show mercy. And listen, he absolutely showed mercy to his own people, Israel. Because they had just committed idolatry. They had just made a golden calf. They had just worshipped a false image. How many times did Israel blow it in the Old Testament? You can't count them. And God chose the conditions of his mercy on them. Verse 16, Romans chapter 9, verse 16. So then, and the issue is God's mercy and the conditions in which He sets to experience His mercy. So then, it's not of Him that willeth, nor of Him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. In other words, you and I don't get to decide when and how God is going to have mercy on you. God decides that. God decides the conditions of his mercy. In other words, you can't just willingly set the conditions for yourself. If I just live this way, God has to show mercy upon me. No. If I do enough good works and if I run toward this mark and I finish this race, then God, I have set the conditions for God's mercy. No. God sets the conditions for his mercy. God, He decides how his mercy is going to be bestowed upon humanity. And so let me give you one example, Exodus chapter 20. but This is an Old Testament example, obviously, and then we'll give you a New Testament example. But in Exodus 20, verse 5, the Bible says, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. By the way, Exodus 20 is before Exodus 32. You guys okay with that? I'm telling you, man, if you just pay attention to the, the, the numbers, it, it helps you. God said, don't bow yourself down. Don't serve other gods. I'm jealous. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children of the third and fourth generation of them that, that hate me. And showing mercy unto thousands of them. What's the condition? That love me and that keep my commandments. Do you see how God mediates the conditions of His mercy? You and I don't get to choose that. And He's not individually selecting upon whom He's going to show mercy. He is choosing the conditions of His mercy. And in the Old Testament, listen, it was those that loved God and those that kept His commandments. You say, well, how does that shake out in in a New Testament application? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. Because, listen, in in the New Testament... God has set conditions for his mercy. And, and when you meet God at his conditions for his mercy, you get to experience all of his mercy. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. The Bible says, but God, who is rich in mercy, and friend, he is. Friend, he, he, he's so rich in mercy. And mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is what is, is getting what we don't deserve. And those two words are different, but listen, we don't get what we deserve. Israel didn't get what they deserved, man, in Exodus 32. What did they deserve? They deserved to be consumed and destroyed. And God showed his mercy. God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved and hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places. Here's the key. In Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us. Here, 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 here it is. Through Christ Jesus. Listen, if you want to tap into the richness of God's mercy today, the conditions have been set, and it's not what you will for your life. It's not what you choose to run or you choose to do for God. The the game has been rigged. And the only way that conditions can be met for God's mercy is through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. That's how he mediates his mercy in our life. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God uh, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, his abundant mercy is conditional, and it's conditional on the new birth. It's conditional on the new birth by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you see that? Do, Do you see that that's the conditions? You say, I don't like that, Jay. I want to come to God my own way. Good luck with that. You don't get to set the terms. God sets the terms because He's God. And He says in His text in Romans, look, not of him that willeth. In other words, you can't will the terms for God's mercy in your life, just like Pharaoh couldn't. You don't, you don't set the rules. You don't set the conditions. And again, God is not setting the, 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 the conditions. He, he's setting the conditions for his mercy. He's not choosing individuals to be saved or not be saved. Now, the devil doesn't like this message. That's okay speaking of corrupting God's word, by the way. (laughs) So we can't will the conditions. We can't work to set the conditions for our own life. We have to meet God at his conditions. Does that make sense? That's important as we get into Romans chapter 9 because I want you to understand, and here's the next point that we need to quickly get, get into. I want you to see the opportunity of God's mercy to Pharaoh. Now, some would say, well, God... God didn't give him any opportunity. He predestined him to fall and, and predestined him to fail, and God chose him to destruction. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know where you get that from. It's not the Bible. Verse 17, For the Scripture saith unto Pharaoh. And again, there's one of those phrases that you need to pay attention to. Somebody is saying something to somebody. The Scripture saith unto Pharaoh, even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that thy name, my name excuse me, might be de- declared throughout all the earth. Therefore, he hath mercy on whom he will have mercy, and whom he will, he hardeneth. And again, I, I would say that those that ascribe to a doctrine of Calvinism would say that there was no opportunity for God's mercy in Pharaoh's life. God predestined him to be hardened. I don't believe that's what the Bible is teaching. Because God is choosing the conditions of his mercy, not the individual. By the way, the scripture saith unto Pharaoh. So again, you have to ask the question, where did the scriptures say this to Pharaoh? Right? That's the honest Bible student question. The answer is Exodus chapter 9 and verse 16. And it's on the screen. Verses 13 to 16. The Bible says, and the Lord said unto who? Who? Moses. Okay, the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that I that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thy thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. Uh, For now I will stretch out my hand that I might smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed for this cause have I raised, here it is, raised thee up, for to show in thee my power that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. That was the direct quote we read out of Romans 9. Everybody agree? Exodus chapter 9 is after... Exodus chapter 5. You okay with that statement? Well, I hope you can count this morning. Because because some things have happened since Exodus chapter 5 to lead God to say this to Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 9. By the way, in Romans 9, the Bible says that the scripture said to Pharaoh, but who really spoke to Pharaoh? Pharaoh. So the key question in your notes is, who spoke to Pharaoh? Did Moses speak to Pharaoh, or did the Scripture speak to Pharaoh? And the answer is, you say, wait a second, Moses didn't go in and unroll a scroll of text and read that to to Pharaoh. So how could the Scripture speak to Pharaoh? I mean, isn't that the obvious question? And this, this is kind of a side conversation, but... The key question is man who really spoke to Pharaoh was it Moses or was it the scripture and the answer is is yes and let me give it to you 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 the bible says that all scripture is given how by the inspiration of god it doesn't say anything about writing and and there's a whole process that god used to get his words from heaven through man spoken and then captured out of the air and put on paper or put on words so that you can read it today there's a whole process that we teach in ministry tools tools and training. I just want you to know that all scripture is given by inspiration of who God inspires scripture second Peter chapter one and verse verses twenty to twenty one say knowing this first that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in the old time by the will of man, but holy men of God wrote. Is that what it says? It doesn't say anything about writing, does it? Holy men of God spake as they were moved. How? So, so when God told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh this. That was God inspiring his scripture to Moses, who was a holy man of God that had been moved by the Holy Ghost, that went to God's intended audience, Pharaoh, and he opened his mouth and he, he spake God's word. And God calls that, by the way, in Romans chapter 9, the scriptures. You say, Where was the writing? Well, that came later. But it was still the scriptures. So here's the the key in your notes. Look, God's word through the scriptures, God's word, a.k.a. the scriptures, through through God's man, holy men of God, it's authoritative. In other words, when Moses stood before Pharaoh, the words that he shared with him were God's words. Do you understand that? These weren't just Moses' recommendations. These words came from God, from the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit into Moses' life. Moses opened his mouth and spoke to Pharaoh. It was as authoritative as if God himself spoke from heaven. Because because God's word is the scriptures. And when he mediates it through God's man, it's authoritative. By the way... Let me, just, let me just take it there for 30 seconds. When somebody stands in any pulpit and opens that book and says, Thus saith the Lord, he better be a holy man of God, but he's, he's openly sharing what God says to us. Uh, this is hard for me to say because I'm one of the us's, but, but, but I'm also the guy that does it. But anytime anybody stands in a pulpit and opens God's Word and is... And is done the work of studying and rightly dividing the Scriptures, when, when He speaks to us, it shouldn't be His sermon or His message. It should be, thus saith the Lord. Amen? I mean, I mean, listen, that, that, that's for all of us. God's Word ought to be authoritative in our life. It ain't Jay's sermon. It ain't, no, it's God's Word, and, and we need to hear it. Right, we need to hear it. Okay, so man, y'all are not listening fast enough. All right, so we got to go. God's foreknowledge concerning Pharaoh. Okay, so so we need to talk about this thing called foreknowledge a little bit. And and for this, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter three, which is before Exodus chapter five, which is also before Exodus chapter nine, and before Exodus thirty-three. Are you okay with that? Because we have to put the Bible together properly. In Exodus chapter three, when God is speaking to Moses. He says in verse 18, They shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews had met with us, and now let us go. We beseech thee three days' journey into the wilderness, that we we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Verse 19, here it is. This is the Lord speaking to Pharaoh. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. Well, that's interesting. God tells Moses to go and speak to him. God says, you know what? I want you to go. Here's exactly what, you, what I want you to say. But I also, I just want you to know, I'm sure he's not going to let you go. You say, what is that? Well, that's God's foreknowledge. God's foreknowledge means, and here's the definition in your notes, foreknowledge means that God knows what you're going to do before you do it that's foreknowledge. Foreknowledge is not the same as predestined. In other words, God's foreknowledge is not the thing that makes you choose. Inside of God's foreknowledge, there's still room for your free will. And I'm going to prove it to you. In Acts chapter 2, it's not in your notes, but listen, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ was delivered, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. In other words, he he was crucified according to the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. God knew that Jesus Christ was going to be betrayed. He knew he was going to falsely be accused. He knew he was going to be crucified. Does that mean that he chose the individuals handpicked that did it? And the answer is no. They had a choice. The foreknowledge knew that Christ was going to be crucified. And anyone that participated, by the way, was said to have had wicked hands. Well, that's a choice. Which leads to some really interesting Bible studies, by the way. Those individual men that carried it out, the men of Rome, the men of Israel, they weren't predestined to do it. They chose to do it. Oh, and by the way, they're choosing to do it accomplished what God already knew was going to happen because God has foreknowledge. God is outside of time. Guys, listen, if you struggle with foreknowledge, just understand this. God already wrote the end of the book. Only God can do that. God already knows what's going to happen. But inside of him knowing what's going to happen, there certainly is still room for your free will. Revelation 13 talks about Jesus Christ being the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Well, how did God know that at the foundation of the world, Jesus Christ was going to die for our sin? Because he has foreknowledge. We would call that in theological circles, omniscience. In other words, God knows everything. He is omniscient. And, and I think that's a blank in your notes. Uh, omniscient means that God it's a characteristic of God alone only God is, is omniscient if I were to ask any of you what's going to happen in the next 5 minutes the next 15 minutes the next 20 minutes you can make an educated guess but, but you're not omniscient you don't know nothing you're welcome hey what would you learn in church today Well, the pastor said I don't know nothing okay don't, don't tweet that <laughs> don't put that on your Facebook page that's, that's not the point when you study this thing of omniscience, you find that God the Father is omniscient. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 20. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth how many things? Well, only God can know all things. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that the Spirit, capital S, by the way, searcheth how many things? All things. Because the Spirit of God carries the deity of God just like God the Father and God the Son. The Bible tells us in John 21 verse 17, I mean, listen, Peter figured it out. I mean, I mean, Jesus is asking Peter, hey, do you love me? He asked him three times. And finally, you know, Peter had to just like break it down. Hey, Lord, thou knowest what? How many things? You know all things. God, you're, omni- you're omniscient. I mean, I can't, you know. Well, he still wanted Peter to say it, right? So we need to understand from foreknowledge that God tells us that, hey, Pharaoh, I'm sure he's not going to let you, let you go, but that doesn't mean that Pharaoh didn't have opportunity. It just means that God is God and we're not. Moses is not. Pharaoh is not. Here's the other thing that you need to know in the Bible. Look, God says in Exodus 4 and verse 21 that I'm going to harden his heart. And, and we'll if you'll listen a little faster, we'll get to that. He says in Exodus 4.21, When you stand before Pharaoh, I'm going to harden his heart that he won't let Israel go. Well, listen, a hardened heart is not eternal damnation in the Bible. A hardened heart doesn't mean that you're predestined to to fail or to go to hell. That's not what it means. As a matter of fact, it is a lack of faith or belief in God's Word. And when you study this out, listen, in Mark chapter 6 the disciples themselves had a hardened heart. If hardened heart means going to hell, then all the disciples are in hell, which is certainly not true. Mark chapter 6 and verse 50 says this, for they all saw him and were troubled and immediately he talked with them and he said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up with them into the ship and the wind ceased and they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure and wondered, for they considered not the loaves The miracle of the loaves for their heart was. You've got a real big problem if you say a hard heart equals eternal damnation because all the disciples are in hell. A hardened heart is a lack of faith or belief in God's word. Well, who hardened their heart? Who hardened those disciples' heart? Was it it themselves? Was Was it God that hardened it? Who hardened it? Well, the answer is yes. When you quit believing God's Word, you've hardened your heart, and as a result, your heart gets hardened. Mark chapter 8, Jesus comes up on the disciples, They're, they're bickering because they don't have any bread. Jesus knew it in verse 17, he said unto them, why do you reason? Because you have no bread, perceive ye not, yet neither understand? Have ye your heart yet hardened? He's asking them, did you harden your own heart? By the way, that's possible. We're going to see that with Pharaoh. And then then in John chapter 12, listen, the Bible tells us that there were some people that saw his miracles, yet they didn't believe on him in John chapter 12. And the Bible says, therefore, in verse 39, he hardened their heart and he blinded their eyes. So what opportunity did Pharaoh have? Listen, I mean, was, was Pharaoh set up from the beginning to fail? Well, here's what Pharaoh had. Number one, Pharaoh had general revelation from God. In other words, he had what's available to every human on this planet, what's called general revelation. I hope you guys came for Bible study this morning because, man, we're, we need about another hour. We don't have it. We've got about 10 minutes, five minutes. He had general revelation. The Bible says in Romans 1 and verse 20, the invisible things of him, of God, from the creation of the world are what? How are they clearly seen? They're being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. The heavens, Psalm 19 says, declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech. Night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Do you understand that general revelation is available to every human on this planet? That creation bears witness of God? Pharaoh had that. You say, what about those places that don't have the gospel yet? They have that. They have it. They have a knowledge of God. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You can't get away from God on this planet because he's left a testimony. Secondly, Pharaoh had specific revelation. Specific revelation. What did he have? Well, he had the very words of God because a man of God spoke them to him. Let's get to it. Exodus 5. This is it. And we'll wind it down here. Look at Exodus 5 verse 1. This is, this is the first instance where Moses comes in and confronts Pharaoh. Here it is. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, let my people go that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Could it be any plainer? Here is what God has said to you, Pharaoh, specifically. Look at Pharaoh's response. And Pharaoh said, "Uh, You know what? I fear the Lord, and I think we should do that. That's not what he did. He said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I know not the Lord. That's a lie, because he has general revelation By the way, I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. When you skip down in that chapter, it's not on the screen, but in in Exodus 5 and verse 9, he actually calls those words that Moses spoke to him vain words. He he basically said, uh, you know, these Israelites, they need to keep laboring. I hope they don't regard these vain words, in other words, about leaving and going sacrificing to their God. Friend, when you receive God's word as vain words, well you've set yourself up for failure. you've rejected God, you've hardened your heart, and by the way, as a result, your heart will be hardened. So you have to ask the question: an honest student of the Bible is going to say, "Where did God harden pharaoh's heart? Well, he didn't do it right here as a matter of fact, he doesn't do it until Exodus chapter seven that's a chapter and a half later and and let me just give you the next little nugget that, that Pharaoh got. Not only did he get the spoken word of God, but he also got signs and wonders. And, and, and in Exodus chapter 7, verses 2 to 4, the Lord tells Moses, I'm going to hard, harden Pharaoh's heart. I'm going to multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And so the second thing that, that, that Pharaoh got was the sign of the rod that Moses and Aaron carried. And you find that in Exodus 7, verse 9. And just for time's sake, pick it up in verse 10. Moses and Aaron went into the Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before her servants, and it became a what? A serpent. You guys remember the story. That was one of the signs that God promised. He said, hey, if they don't believe, throw down, throw down the rod, and it'll become a serpent. So they did that. Pharaoh's already gotten the spoken word of God. Now he's seeing the signs and wonders from God. Look at verse 11. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they did so in the like manner with their enchantments. And they cast down every man his rod, these these sorcerers and magicians, and they became serpents, and Aaron's rod swallowed up their rod. So what did he see? He heard God's word specifically. He saw the wonders of God and the signs of God. And yet, instead of repenting, he called his wise men, sorcerers, magicians, satanic, wicked, evil men to reproduce the power of God through the power of Satan. And in verse 13, the Bible says, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Chapter and a half later, after after Pharaoh has received God's general revelation, after he's received God's specific revelation, after he's received the sign of of the rod of God and now mirrored that with satanic influence, God says, it's your choice, man. You harden your heart to me and I'll harden your heart because God's a gentleman. He just gives you what you want. The third thing that he gets is he he gets the sign of the water turned to blood. Very same chapter. Moses and Aaron go out and they they put the rod in the water and when they smite the water, the water turns to blood and all the fish die. And listen, it, it causes a stink and the Bible says in verse 22 that the magicians of Egypt did the same thing with their enchantments. In other words, he's just mirroring what God is doing with the enemy's power. And the Bible says in that text, listen to Exodus 7, verse 22, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. What's interesting is it doesn't say that God hardened it. It just says it was hardened. And on the bottom of your notes, and I know we have to stop, but listen, on the bottom of your notes is a really worthy study for you to pay attention to. There are times in the Bible where the Lord said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. In other words, future tense. I'm going to do this. And, and I gave you the references out of Exodus 4, Exodus 7. There are times in the Bible where Pharaoh's heart was hardened, but it doesn't really tell you who hardened it. Did God harden it? Did, him, did he harden it himself? Then there are times in the Bible where the Lord specifically hardened Pharaoh's heart, and, and you got those references. And then you got references where the, that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. Do you see that? You say, what's the point, Jay? Well, the point is we're out of time, number one. (laughs) The point is, Pharaoh had been given opportunity after opportunity by God. In other words, God... Listen, 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 listen. God's power and name could have been declared throughout all the earth by Pharaoh obeying God. Because if he blessed God's people and he obeyed God's word, by default, God was going to bless him. And God was going to bless that nation. But in his rebellion and rejection of God, let me just tell you, God's power and God's name is still going to be declared through the earth, through his cursing. Does that that make sense? Either way, and here's the point we have to take away from this. Either way, God's power and name is going to get the glory. God's power and, and name are going to get the glory. And in our life, as we wind it down, listen, we have to understand the conditions for God's mercy, well, they're set by Him. And, and they are such that anyone can, can tap into his, the richness of His mercy. But it's on the condition of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you choose, just like Pharaoh, to say, you know what? I don't even know the Lord. I don't want to know the Lord. I'm going to do it my way. Well, friend, I, I want to lovingly share with you, God is still going to get glory for his power and his name through your life, even in your rejection. As a matter of fact, in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible says that the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Even the Pharaohs amongst us will bow and confess. And God's power and God's name will be manifest. So what do we do with this? Well, for us, we want to be on the receiving end of God's mercy as he's conditioned it in our life. God wants us to make the free will choice to honor Him and to obey His Word and to love Him because that gives Him glory. That gives Him glory. And friends, we have that choice. Let's pray we are way out of time. Father, we love You this morning, God, and we thank You for Your Word.